You know, I think it's pretty safe to say that we're living in some pretty interesting times right now, aren't we? Just look at our country and how divided it is in so many different ways. There's racial tensions that are going on. There's political tensions. Are you a Democrat? Are you a Republican? Are you a Libertarian? Are you something else? There's economic tensions, rich versus poor. And it's creating a ton of division. Of course, we're still in the midst of a presidential transition right now. And like all of our presidents, it doesn't matter if they're Republican or Democrat, I try to pray for our president every single day because I want our country to do well. And I want our leaders to do well. But I got to be honest with you, I find myself jumping on the news a little bit more frequently, you know, on the internet every single day, just seeing, is something crazy going on right now? And so between this sort of tensions that we have and this transition that we're going through, I've been having more and more people coming to me recently going, Gilbert, think this is it? Is this, is this the end? Are we done? And so I'm going to do something I have never done in 17 years of being a pastor. And that is I'm going to actually preach an entire series just on the book of Revelation. Now, I've taught out of Revelation before. I've used verses out of Revelation. We've had single messages on the book of Revelation, but we have never actually done an entire series, or at least I haven't. This is my third different church that I've pastored in to do an entire series. So welcome today to the end, (laughs) an inside look at the back of the book. Let's jump right into it. If you have a Bible you want to follow along today, all of our scriptures we're going to be looking at is in the book of Revelation. If you don't have a Bible, you can uh, open your program up. All the scriptures we'll be looking at are in your program there. If you have a smartphone, you can pull that out, download the Version app, and on Version, you're going to be able to look up all the different scriptures as well. We'll also have it on the screens for us here behind us. By the way, if you need a Bible, we give them away for free out in the lobby afterwards. You can pick that up little bit later. Revelation chapter 1 verses 1 to 3 says this. This is a revelation from, who's it say? This revelation is from? Jesus Christ, Christ, right? Which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything that he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. Now, a couple things here. Notice that this is a single revelation given from Jesus Christ. It's a revelation. I had people the last couple weeks as we announced that we were doing this series going, oh, good, we're going to study the book of Revelations. No, it's not the book of Revelations. It's the book of Revelation. It's a single revelation. Revelation. Not multiple revelations, it's one revelation. Now I bring this up because this is one of my pet peeves. If I hear you calling it the book of revelations, I will ask God to bring extra judgment on you. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But again, it's one single revelation. Here's something else I want you to notice. It says that if you hear this message, if you read this book, you're going to be blessed. Now, there is a little bit of a catch to it. you got to obey it. But it, there is a blessing that comes with it. This is the only book in the Bible that it said, if you'll read this entire book, if you'll listen to it, if you'll hear it, you'll be blessed because of it. But here's my question. If that's true, why is it that so few people have actually read it? And the answer is quite simple. It's weird. It really is. You you only get a couple chapters in and it's like, locusts with the sting of a scorpion? 
lakes of fire, demons and, and dragons and harlots. What in the world is going on here? And then the imagery that, that John uses. For example, in Revelation chapter 5, he describes Jesus in this way. As a lamb who was slain with seven eyes and seven horns. Now, parents, let me ask you a question. If your kids came home from school and they said, I drew a picture of Jesus today, and they showed you that picture, you'd have them drug tested. <laughs> or you'd demand that they stop hanging out with the weird kids at school. Right? How about this? Revelation chapter 12. John describes Satan as a dragon who is fighting Michael the archangel. And they're, they're in heaven, they're having this battle. And ultimately, Michael throws them down out of heaven. And you're like reading this and, and picturing this all in your mind going, is this like history? Is this the Bible or is this DC Comics? I mean, doesn't that look like something to be out of a, a comic book? No. no? <laughs> Zach, what comic books are you reading? <laughs> That's the kind I read when I was growing up. <laughs> or how about this in Revelation chapter 17? John describes in, in this vision that he was given this, this woman that she's a looker, but she's not a lady. In fact, her occupation rhymes with the word looker, okay? Uh, so... He describes her as this woman, and she's sitting on this beast that has seven heads and, and ten horns. And again, you're thinking, what in the world is going on? It's, it's just a little bit weird. And, and you start to think, was marijuana legal back then? <laughs> what, was John, like, smoking something? In fact, I... I advertised this series on Facebook this week, and so we started having all kinds of comments coming in, and there was this one guy on the wall, he said, well, it's pretty common knowledge that John was just smoking mushrooms there on the island of Patmos. <laughs> Maybe, well, I don't know, right? I mean, he, he could have been smoking something, or there could be a more logical explanation of why he used all this weird imagery and weird language. And I, I believe that there, there is. The, the book of Revelation, it was written in the year 95 AD. This is about 60 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. John, who was one of Jesus' followers, a disciple by now is an old man. And John had been in, in charge of, along with the rest of the disciples, getting the good news of the message of Jesus to as many people as possible. Because Jesus had died. He had rose again from the dead. He had said that he had the power over sin. He had the power over death. And that through him, people could have new life. And so John, the rest of the disciples, they get excited about this. They're taking the message not just to the people of Israel, but beyond the borders of Israel, throughout the Middle East, and then up into Asia, and then ultimately out into Europe. And so John, he's, he's going around, he's getting churches started. He's, he's so excited about what Jesus is doing. But in the midst of all this, the Roman Empire is still ruling and reigning. It's... The Romans that are the kingdom of the world. It's the Romans that are in charge of everything. But yet Jesus said, no, 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 I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And Jesus talked about how he was bringing a, a new kind of kingdom. And this was the message that the, that the disciples were spreading, including John. 
And so he, he's out and about, he's sharing this good news with people that there's a, a new kingdom. Well, guess who that makes mad? The Romans. At the time, the, the Roman emperor, his name was Domitian. And Domitian found out about John, and he actually had him locked up. He's like, this guy is spreading all these like, false rumors of this guy that rose again from the dead and, and stuff. And here's what you need to understand about Domitian. Domitian said that, I am Lord and I am God. Domitian demanded that people would bow down and worship him as if though he were God. This presented a real problem for John and all the churches that he had started. Because as Christians, we're to worship the one true God. And we're to worship him only. And so they, they had a choice. Do we bow down and, and worship Domitian? Or, or do we stick to our values and what we truly believe? Our convictions here that, no, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. And we're only going to bow down to him. And so Domitian says, John needs to be locked up, sentenced. And so they sentence him to a prison island. It's the island of Patmos, which is off the, uh, it'd be west of the modern-day country of Turkey. And what was in the Aegean Sea, it's now called the Mediterranean Sea. And you'll see it in a picture in just a little bit. But not yet, not yet. (laughs) These guys are good. They're like, man, he's just said it. Uh, But, uh, yeah, he, he gets sentenced to this island. And he's, he's been given this vision by Jesus. And he wants to get this message back to the churches that he had helped to start. He wants them to, to understand what is going on. And that even though you're in the midst of trials and persecution and, and various tribulation in your life right now, Jesus is still going to overcome. Jesus' kingdom is still going to reign and rule. But he can't just come out and say that. That's what got him locked up. That's what got him in trouble in the first place. So he's been given this vision. He wants to get it to these churches, but yet he can't just come right out and say it. Because the the, the Romans would would look at it and say, oh, Jesus and his kingdom and all this kind of stuff, and they would have just, they'd have gotten rid of it. So he has to talk to them in, in sort of a code. It's sort of like this. How many of you remember the old song, American Pie? Remember that song, American Pie? Don McLean wrote this song in 1971. Now, for many of you, it's just a, a catchy little tune. Bye, bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to... Right? That, that's the song. It, it's just a catchy song. You're like, oh, this is good. In fact, did you know that it was named the Song of the Century by the Recording Industry Association of America and by the National Endowment of the Arts? Song of the Century. For many people, it's just like, oh, yeah, it's a really classic, cool song. Now, some of you know that there's a little bit more to it, that it's talking about a plane crash. What is the day the music died? Well, it's the day that Buddy Holly and Richie Valens and the Big Bopper died in a plane crash. So some people understand that the the song's a little more than just a catchy song. There's a, a deeper meaning to it. But did you know that there's an even deeper meaning to it? That Don McLean wrote this and, and about the day the music died to talk about even more. Did you know that the song itself talks about uh, all kinds of various things? Elvis, Bob Dylan, Karl Marx, Vladimir Lenin, Charles Manson, Jackie Kennedy, the Vietnam War, and that's just to name a few. And all this, again, was packaged in a song about the day the music died. 
In a 19, or uh, actually 2015 interview, uh, McLean, who, who wrote this song, said, Our country was losing hope, and the plane crash was the final straw. See, he said, we were in despair, and the only thing that was keeping us going was this sound, the, the rock music that was going on. That was the only hope we had, but then the plane crash happened. The music died, and we gave up. So there was a deeper hidden meaning within it. And that's the exact same thing that John's doing here in the book of Revelation. He needs to communicate this message, but he needs to do it in a way that the Romans won't understand it. In the same way that many of you, until I just told you about the meaning of American Pie, you're like, I never knew that. But yet you had heard the song. So he wanted to get the song out there, but yet... Make sure that the, the Jews and the, the God-fearing Greeks, they would understand exactly what was going on. And so what John does is over and over and over again, he pulls these obscure passages out of the Old Testament in order to communicate with the Jews and with the God-fearing Greeks. See, I think that the original vision that he was given didn't have all this weird stuff that we talk about and saw on the screens and everything. He saw Jesus. He saw Jesus for who he is, not as some weird lamb with seven eyes. I don't think he actually saw that, but he needed to communicate it to these churches in a way that the Romans didn't understand. So he pulls out these obscure passages from the Old Testament so that when the Jews would read it, they go, oh, yeah, I know what he's talking about. That's out of Daniel or, you know, that's out of, you know, wherever. But the, the Romans would read it and go, what is this gibberish? It doesn't make a bit of sense here. Does that make sense to you? It's just a, a code. So he wants to get this message out to the seven churches. All right, uh, Simon, you can go to put that up there for us. Here's the seven churches. And you see down here is Patmos, the island. That's where he's sentenced in prison at. And he's going to write this letter in code, and it's going to be given to a messenger, and it's going to take it to each of these seven different churches. Now, keep in mind, they didn't have copying machines, fax machines, email. So it's one single letter that a messenger is going to take to each one of the churches in sort of the, the order that you see there on the screen. And so as you read through the book of Revelation and it's talking about, you know, these various churches, this is the order that it's in, the order that this messenger was going to take it. Is this all making sense so far? Nobody's like, oh, this is too weird. <laughs> no, it's just simply a code. And again, what they wanted to do was get this message out to as many people as possible. There's 404 total verses in the book of Revelation. 69% of them point back to something in the Old Testament. John never once, though, actually quotes the Old Testament. So it's all about the Old Testament. He just never actually quotes it, again, because they were trying to confuse the Romans who may get their hands on it as they were taking it around. All right, so that's one thing you need to understand about the book of Revelation. Here's the other thing. A lot of people get confused about it because they wanted to answer questions that it was never actually intended to answer. Again, the, the biggest question that people have about the book of Revelation just in general is, when's Jesus coming? When is the end of the world coming? But here's the mistake with that. This book, the book of Revelation, was never meant to be a calendar. Let me say that again. It was never intended to be a calendar. And if you try to use it as a calendar, you're going to get awfully confused because you're using it in a way it was never intended to be used. 
If, though, you use it the way it was intended to be used, which is a template for how to go through trials and tribulations and suffering, it's going to make a ton of sense to you. Now, there's two, two parts of this book. It was written to these seven churches to talk about their day and their time and the issues they were going through so that they could get something out of it. But then there are some timeless truths that, as John writes to these churches, we can learn from it. And then he does have some prophecy in it for things that will happen at the end. But that's just a little small part of what the book of Revelation is all about. So don't get so caught up in all that stuff. Use it again as a template, as a foundation for what happens when I'm personally going through my own trials, my own tribulations. And again, if you'll use it that way, it'll make a lot more sense to you. Because here's the deal. Many of you, you wanted to answer all these things. And, and you're not going to be able to understand the end times until you understand how it applies to your times. Does that make sense? Some of you are going through your own personal tribulation right now. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's a, the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a financial tribulation that you're going through. Maybe your marriage is in a rocky place or you just went through a divorce. These are all tribulations that we go through. But you'll never be able to go through the, the tribulation and the great tribulation that the book of Revelation talks about until you discover how to use this book to go through your own tribulations. So that's, that's where we need to start. So what I want to do in this series is I want to talk to you about some better questions to ask. Instead of asking, when's the end of the world coming? When is Jesus returning? Ask some better questions. So we'll look at four over these next four weeks. So here's the first one if you're taking notes. Instead of asking, when is Jesus returning? I should be asking, who is this Jesus that is reigning? Let me say that again. Instead of asking, when is Jesus returning? I should be asked, who is this Jesus that is reigning? Remember, this is the book of Revelation. It's a single revelation of who Jesus is, what he wants to do in your life, and yes, what he's going to do in the future. John in Revelation chapter 1 verses 12 to 18, he gets this revelation and he sees this vision of Jesus and then he writes these words. He says, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, let me ask you again. Did he actually see seven gold lampstands? Probably. Now, it's possible. I mean, uh, again, I'm, I'm just giving you a little bit of, of my, my input on this. But I don't think he actually saw the seven gold. He's just talking about it in this, this code language. So he says, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. There with the lampstands was someone who seemed to be the son of man. He was wearing a robe that reached down to his feet and a gold cloth was wrapped around his chest. His head and his hair were as white as wool or snow, and his eyes looked like flames of fire. His feet were glowing like bronze, being heated in a furnace, and his voice sounded like the roar of a waterfall. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp, double-edged sword was coming from his mouth. His face was shining as bright as the, noon, uh, the sun at noon. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead person. But he put his right hand on me, and he said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I die, but now I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death and the world of the dead. Now again, remember, everything we just read there, it's just code. 
the Jews would have read this description and they would have said, wait a second, he's just using descriptions of God. So he's just talking about God here. And he's talking about robes and claws and sashes and, and candlesticks. Well, that's just references back to the Old Testament to the high priest. So what he's saying is that Jesus is God and Jesus is the high priest who came to take care of our sins. Jesus is the high priest who came to show us how to live a life that's pleasing to God. Again, to the Jews that read this, this wouldn't have been confusing at all. He just simply needed to describe Jesus, but in a way that the Romans didn't understand it. And so that's what he does. Now again, you're going, all right, Gilbert, but... Who cares? Well, I care. You should care. Because again, there is a great tribulation that will come. And if we are around for that, you need to know who Jesus is. That, that's where it all starts. I, I entitled today's message, Priorities. Because unless Jesus is number one priority in your life, life is really going to suck for you. It really is. And again, if you are around for the tribulation and the great tribulation. You've got to have Jesus number one, or there is no way in the world you will possibly survive all that. So again, that's what, that's what John's doing here, is he's just trying to speak to these churches that he, he loved these people. These are real people in real churches with real problems, and he wants to help them out. He needs to get this letter, this vision from Jesus to them to say, don't give up. Don't be afraid. Don't despair. I'm still here. We're going to make it through this. So he starts to, to write these, uh, uh, these various chapters here to each individual church. And what's interesting is, as he writes to each of the seven churches, he uses part of the description from Revelation chapter 1 that we read earlier to sort of introduce his remarks. So, for example, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, this is what you must write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. I am the one who holds the seven stars in my right hand, and I walk among the seven gold lampstands. Listen to what I say. So again, he's referring back to some of the description of God that he had used earlier. Look at uh, verse 8. This is what you must write to, the church, or write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. I am the first and the last. I die, but now I am alive. Listen to what I say. Down in verse 12. This is what you must write to the angel of the church of Pergamum. I am the one who is the sharp, double-edged sword. Listen to what I say. Basically, this is a subtle reminder to all seven of these churches that, look, when tough times come around, don't forget who I am. Because he's going to write to them about their tough times. But he starts it with a description again of, don't forget me. Keep me as your number one priority in life. Jesus says, look, no matter what you're going through, I'm there for you. Again, some of you are going, Gilbert, this is great, but you know the reason I really came out today is I really wanted to know about 666. <laughs> and and, and I, I really want to know about the beast and the, and the, 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 beast and the demons and you know, the, the harlot and all that. I want to know what all that stuff means. And we'll get to that in this series. We'll, we'll get to all that stuff. But again, what I need you to see is before we can get to all the cool stuff, the fancy stuff, you need to have your stuff in its proper place. You need to have Jesus, number one. He needs to be your priority because, look, 
If you don't have Jesus number one, what, it's, what we'll learn later about 666 and, and demons and all that kind of stuff, you won't stand a snowball's chance, all right, of surviving any of that if you don't start with this foundation of having Jesus first. So oftentimes what happens is we get off track. We don't have our priorities where they need to be. We get derailed from life. And so what I want to do in the remainder of our time today is just share with you a couple ways that we get derailed. In fact, three ways. And it's ways that the, some of the churches here in the, in the book of Revelation, they were getting derailed. And we can learn from their example. So first one is this, pride. Pride. I do good things, but I do good things with wrong motives. The first church that John writes to is the church that met in the city of Ephesus. Here's what he says in Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. Jesus is speaking through John in this letter and says, I know everything that you have done, including your hard work and how you have endured. I know you won't put up with anyone who is evil. When some people pretended to be apostles, you tested them and found that they were liars. You have endured and gone through hard times because of me, and you have not given up. In other words, Jesus is saying, good job, guys. Your church is, is doing a really good job. Yeah, you've been going through some tough times, but you've sort of rooted out, you know, the ones that shouldn't be there. Good, good job. He continues on, though, in the rest of verse 4 and then verse 5 and says, But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. See, somewhere along the line, this church had become more proud of who they were as a church and who they were as people. They were taking pride in themselves and what they were doing instead of the one that they were doing it for. They had lost sight of Jesus. They had lost their first love. You know, when they, they first became followers and they first became a church, they were so excited, but now they were just sort of going through the motions. I wonder if there's any of you here that can relate to that. Do you remember what it was like those first days and weeks and months after you first became a follower of Jesus? How excited you were? And you couldn't read enough of the Bible. I mean, you were just reading and reading and reading and reading, and you were praying. You were here at, you know, either this church or another church. Anytime the church doors were open, you were, you were there all the time. You were out serving in the community. You were sharing your faith with as many people as possible because you're like, look, here's who I used to be, and now I've changed. Jesus has changed me, and I want that for you. You were so excited. Then somewhere along the way, for whatever reason, that love, that passion, that zeal that you had started to wane a little bit. And maybe you find yourself sitting here this morning and you're like, yeah, I would still call myself a Christian, but yet you realize that you attend church basically whenever it's convenient for you. And you haven't cracked open the Bible in maybe months. You're not praying like you used to. You're not serving like you used to. In fact, your neighbors and coworkers may be surprised to find out that you even call yourself a Christian. The love, the, the, the passion, it's, it's just not there anymore. Again, you, you still call yourself a Christian, but you're just sort of going through the motions. So what, what's the solution? Well, it's quite simple. John talked about it. 
And that is, I must go back and do the things that I did at first. This is pretty simple. If you're here today and your passion for Jesus isn't what it used to be, just sit down with a piece of paper and start writing out, okay, in the days and times that I was passionate, what was I doing? How often did I attend church? How often was I reading my Bible? How often did I pray? How often did I share my faith? How often was I serving? In what ways was I serving? Just sort of write it all down of this is what life looked like when I was on fire. And then once you have that there, guess what? Go back and do the things that you did at first. This isn't hard. It's actually quite easy. Because you already did it before. Just start doing it all over again. By the way, one little side note. This is one of the reasons that it's important to share your faith with others. Because when you're sharing your faith with others, that helps to keep the excitement alive in your life. And guess what? When you help lead somebody in a relationship with Jesus and they have that fire and passion and zeal of, you know, I'm a new believer, guess what? That rubs off on you. So again, it's important that you're inviting and you're sharing your faith. So pride, that, that sort of gets us derailed. Number two then is tolerance. I do good things publicly and then bad things privately. Now, I'm not talking about the type of tolerance here where I'm saying, you know, we need to be tolerant of other people and their beliefs and respect them and et cetera, et cetera. That's not the type of tolerance what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about here is when we start to tolerate sin in our own lives, when we start to tolerate sin in the lives of our family members or in the life of our church even, that's the tolerance that we can't have. To the church of Pergamum, John writes this in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. Jesus is speaking, and he says, But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. Now, again, what he's doing here is he's just sort of pointing back to the Old Testament, to a story that not a lot of people would be familiar with. In fact, some of you maybe aren't familiar with the story. And we're not even going to get into the story today. If you want to read it, it's in Numbers uh, 22 through 24. You can read this story for yourself if you'd like. But what John is, is really trying to get them to see, and what Jesus is trying to get them to see, is that history is repeating itself. The story of Balaam and Balak basically was that they had gotten sidetracked. They had gotten derailed from their first love, from Jesus. And they started to have idol worship, and they were committing all types of sexual sin. And what Jesus is saying to the church of Pergamum here is, it's happening in your city. It's happening right there in your own church, and it can't be. It can't be. And how that applies to us today is this. I'm afraid in our country, history is once again repeating itself. They were more and more prone to idol worship. Now, we don't get down and and worship little gold statues and stuff, but don't we have idols in our country? Status, cars, houses, possessions, money. A lot of people, that's the thing that they bow down to. And then look at our country, the, the slippery slope that we've been on when it comes to sexual sin. I mean, the The culture has just changed when it comes to that. But here's what's really disturbing. Let me give you a couple statistics. In the United States right now, 41% of Christians, again, hear me, 41% of Christians 
now say that it's okay to have sex before marriage. 54% of Christians say that living a homosexual lifestyle is okay. 18% of Christians say that looking at pornography is okay. 62% of Christians say that it's okay to get a divorce for other than biblical reasons. Now, obviously, those numbers are way higher amongst the people of the world. But again, I said these were Christians that were being surveyed. And the reason that's disturbing is that number should be zero for each of them. See, we can't tolerate sin. And, and that's what these Christians are being surveyed in, and it's becoming more and more and more Christians that are now saying, it's okay to sin. Folks, listen to me. No, it's not. Jesus died to set you free from your sin. And yes, you're still going to mess up. Let me be very clear about that. None of us are going to be perfect. But to knowingly sin, and to actually even as Christians be promoting sin, that's wrong. That's wrong. And so what happened in the church of Pergamum is happening in the church throughout the United States right now is that we're tolerating sin. And it just can't be. Just can't be. So what is the solution? Well, again, Jesus through John talks about this. Revelation chapter 2, verse 16. He says, repent of your sin. Repent. Now we talk about that word a lot around here. That repent simply means that you need to, to turn and go God's way. That you, you were going this way, you were going the world's way, you are going Satan's way. And repentance means that now I'm going to turn and, and start going God's way. Start following the, the things of God, God's word. And sin isn't just simply that I'm sorry that I got caught sinning. Re, or, uh, repentance isn't that I'm, I'm simply uh, you know, sorry that I got caught sinning. Repentance is that I'm actually sorrowful for my sin, that it breaks my heart that, oh God, how could I have done this against you? Let me add this to it then. Repentance is about a change of loyalty. Of that I was loyal to me, I was loyal to the things of the world, I was loyal to our culture, but now I've decided I'm going to be loyal to the things of God. Even if it costs me, even if people point their finger at me and say, oh, aren't you being judgmental? Even if it costs me friendships, even if it costs me any other thing, I'm going to do it because it's what Jesus wants. Now, let me be very clear again about something. We need to love all people. It doesn't matter what their sin is. We're called to love. But in the, the midst of loving, part of truly loving somebody is helping them repent of their sin, to get out of that lifestyle. It's not to condone it and say, oh, it's okay. God's just going to be like a big grandfather in the sky and pat you on the head. Oh, it's okay, Johnny. It's okay, Susie. No, if you, you love people, you want what's best for them, and you want what God's best is for them. And so Jesus says it this way, that we need to speak the truth, but we need to do it in love. The, the problem with the American church that does speak about repentance is many times it's so just pointing the finger and, and looking down our noses at people. That, that, that isn't who we need to be. We need to love all people, no matter what they're doing, no matter what their lifestyle is, and show them that there is a better way. 
Jesus is a, a great example of this. That he, he always mixed truth and, and love together. That he loved sinners, but then what would he always say to them at the end of the conversation? Now go and sin no more. And, and that, that's who we need to be as God's people. People that don't tolerate sin, but yet at the same time love people in the midst of their sin. And to do that, we've got to be out in the community. We've got to be out in the world. Jesus said this, you need to be in the world, but not of the world. In other words, we need to have a bigger influence on our culture than the culture is having on us. So what's that going to look like in your life? For some of you, it's, I need to repent because I've been tolerating sin in my own life. I've been tolerating sin and, and, you know, uh, my, my thoughts and, and allowing my friends and neighbors and coworkers and relatives just to continue to live in it. And I've been actually condoning it as a Christian, saying it's okay. For some of you, your next step is to change your approach because you've known that it isn't okay, but you're the one pointing your finger at them. You need to, you need to learn how to love them. For some of you, the, the problem is you've sheltered yourself so much from the world, you're like, okay, it's a big bad world out there. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to be okay. Who cares about everybody else out there? <laughs> but you can't do that either. Again, we, we need to be out in the midst of everything that's going on. Just we need to be a bigger influence than what it's influencing us. All right, number three then, independence. And that is that I do the wrong things but with good motives. This was the problem of the church of Laodicea. And here's what you need to understand about Laodicea. It is a city down in a valley. There's mountains on either side. And during the spring, the, the rains come and, and keep things fertile. But then all the snow melts down off the mountains into the valley. And so it's just a very lush area there that everything can grow. Um, you just plants and, and, and there's you know, animals and, and everything there. And then you have the, the mountains, so there's minerals that you can go and mine out of the mountains. And a major roadway at the time went through Laodicea, sort of connecting the Middle East into Asia and then off on into Europe. So Laodicea was a very, very rich city. And what I mean by that is because they had all these minerals and because they had all these plants and crops and various things, they had a lot of money. And as archaeologists have gone and, and sort of dug up this ancient city, what they've discovered is some of the biggest homes and some of the, the best coliseums that were out there, they've discovered these uh, spas, basically, that because they had all you know, these salts and everything, they would have, like, people would come to Laodicea, you know, it was like the, the Poconos, you know, of the area or whatever, that you would go there and sort of relax in the spa, you know, for a, a couple days. And so the Laodicean people, they found their security in their wealth and in their homes and in this, this vast richness that they had. What they didn't understand is that only Jesus gives us security. And you need to understand the same thing as well. Security only comes through Jesus. And so here's what's written to the church in Revelation 3, 15 to 17. Jesus is speaking. He says, I know all the things that you do that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. 
You say, I'm rich. I have everything that I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't even realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You ever been taking a bath and it's nice, you're there and the the water's nice and hot. But then as you sit there, the water starts to cool off a little bit. It's just sort of, it's not cold, but it's just sort of lukewarm. It's tolerable, but it's not great. And he's saying, you've got all your spas, you've, you've got all your riches here as a, as a church. He's like, I'd rather you either be really hot or really cold for me. Don't, don't just sort of play church, just don't be sort of in the middle. He says, that, that's nasty. She says, I'll, I'll spew you out of my mouth. I don't, I don't need that. He says, you, you think that all this riches is what you need? Think again. Because you don't really realize how poor you are. And I want to say the same thing to you. Security doesn't come from your 401k. It doesn't come from the roof that you have over your head. Security only comes from Jesus. He is the only way. And so we we can't get caught up in all the things that the world says is important that, you know, get the raise, get the promotion, get the bigger house, the fancier car, get your kids on the right soccer team. All those things, they're great, but that's not life. And that's not what life is all about. And so what, what's the solution to this? Because it's, it's not health and wealth and prosperity and, and all that kind of stuff. What, what is the solution? Well, it's simply this. I must live with hands open and palms down. Hands open, palms down. So many people live this way. They may even be living with their hands open, but it's this sort of motion. Give me, give me, give me more, 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 more. I, I, I want, want, want. very materialistic or some people they live with a closed fist and it's so closed they've got such a grip on the things of the world of their possessions and everything that if God said give a little help this person out you'd be like no 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 no. you have to pry it out of my dead fingers and so what I'm saying to you today is when it comes to the things of the world Live with your hands wide open and your palms down so that you can't have a grasp on anything. That literally you're going, Jesus, you are all that I need. You're everything that I need. And if you happen to entrust some things to me, it's just sitting there on the back of my hand. I can't even grasp it. And I'll I'll balance it. I'll manage it for you. But at any time you want to come and take it or give it away to somebody else, you can do that. One of the saddest verses in all scripture, I believe, is Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. It says this. Listen, this is Jesus speaking. He says, listen, I'm standing and knocking at your door. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will eat and we will eat together. Now, you're going, why is that a sad verse? Haven't I heard that verse before? And yes, you probably have. It's often used in evangelism. That 
People say to to non-Christians that, look, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. And if you'll just simply ask him to come into your heart, he'll he'll allow you or, you know, ask him to come in through the door and he'll come in and fellowship with you. You'll have a relationship with him. And I guess it's not bad to use it that way. But that's taking this verse completely out of context because this verse was written to the church of Laodicea. It wasn't written to non-Christians. This is a verse that's written to a church. So picture this in your mind. Jesus is saying, I'm standing at the door of your church knocking, but you're not letting me in. How sad is that to have a church that Jesus isn't even allowed into? And that's what we've got to be careful of, is that we don't just go through the motions and don't just play church, that it's always about Jesus, that he is first that he's never locked outside of our doors. So again, what what derails us in life? Well, pride does, tolerance does, independence does. And all three of those things will bring their own trouble into your life. But then they especially prevent you from overcoming other types of trouble that come into your life. And so what's the solution? Well, we need to return and do the things we did at first. We need to repent and we need to live with Palms down, hands open. The beginning of the day, I read to you Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. I want to read verse 3 to you once again. It says this, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. In addition to the things we talked about doing today, the, the solution, the next steps that you need to take, here's one other thing I want you to do. I want you to commit to being here for all four weeks of this series because blessed is the one who hears the words of this book. But then here's what else I want you to do. I want you to start reading it. And here's what's actually pretty cool about this. Revelation is 22 chapters long. So I want every single one of us today and every single person that's listening to this podcast, start reading Revelation chapter 1 today. Tomorrow, read Revelation chapter 2. And every day we're going to read a chapter of the book. And this is why I'm saying it's cool. If you'll do that, you'll read Revelation 22 on the very last day of this series in three weeks. Now, are you going to understand everything that you read? Probably not. But you do know that you can now go back into the Old Testament to look up some of these things because it was just a code. But even though you may not understand it all, there's going to be parts that you do understand. And again, you will be blessed just simply by reading it. You're going to be blessed by being here and hearing it. Again, this whole book of Revelation was meant to help you anytime you go through your own trials and tribulations in life. Yeah, we'll talk about the future and and what that all means. But right now it's about here and now. And some of you are currently going through some trials and tribulations. And if you're not, one's coming because this this is planet Earth. This is life. Scripture says it rains on the just and the unjust. So if you're on a mountaintop, be happy about it. Celebrate. Because there will be a valley that will come. And you need to know how to go through those things. And I started to outline that for you here a little bit today. And we're going to continue to look at that as the weeks go on. We commit to doing that with me? Be here each week. Read a chapter a day. Be blessed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come and look at the whole council 
of your word and to look at this strange, weird book called the book of Revelation. But Lord, I, I hope that, or hope that uh, through your spirit, you've been able to speak to, to people this morning that it's not as weird as maybe we once thought it was. And that there is a, a key to, undis- or to discovering uh, what it all means, and it's found in the Old Testament. And so, Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would commit to reading a chapter a day, and if we feel so inclined to, to do a little more study and research in the Old Testament just to see where some of these things uh, come from. But Lord, most of all, I pray that we would be obedient to your Spirit, that your Spirit has been speaking about a specific next step that we need to take. Each and every one of us had something that we felt convicted about here today. And so help us to take that next step, whatever it is. Give us the, the courage to take it. Give us the, the power to take it. And Lord, I, I pray that you would continue to, to be with us as Exponential Church. And Lord, as we look at these seven churches and the mistakes that they made, help us as a, a church body, as a church family to not repeat history to learn from the mistakes of others, to keep you as our number one priority in all things and in all ways. Jesus, thank you for coming to the earth and dying on the cross that our sins may be forgiven. And thank you that you gave a revelation of who you are to us and how you want to bless our lives. Thank you for that. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.